of this month, we are talking about investing in the next. We've really laid out three main buckets, if you will, that we're asking each household to pray about in terms of commitments for this year. Uh, we've talked about the financial investment as we look to retire the debt of the new building. We've talked about uh, next generation investment, which Pastor Ben shared about last week, the human investment in that building. And then lastly, we are talking today about family investment. What does it mean for us to invest spiritually into our household or into our homes? And then next week, as we conclude this series, we're going to have a really fun, special service of commitment. And so I hope you'll be here as it's a family worship Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a really good time. Uh, and again, I want to just encourage, bring your kids. It's going to be a great service for them to be a part of next Sunday. So before we jump into Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to give just two quick caveats, sort of framing statements before we jump in. Number one, I'm talking about family investment, and I'm primarily going to be looking at it through the lens of parents to children. And so what I'm going to ask is this, if, if that does not fit your personal household description, either you're uh, single or empty nesting or whatever that might be, what I'm asking you to do is this, as I'm talking about examples for mom and dad investing in the home, that you would fill in the blank of your own type of investment. Can I just say this, especially for those that are grandparents, aunts, uncles in the room. As a student pastor, I've had the privilege of talking to literally hundreds of students over the last decade. And many of them have a story of an investment from a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle who made an impact in their life spiritually. So don't discount that impact. The second thing I would say before we get started is this. We're going to be talking about what does it mean to invest in our family spiritually. I don't want this to be um, a message where it comes across as shaming you if that's not describing how you have been doing things up to this point. The beauty of the gospel is that what is in the past is taken care of under the blood of Christ, and it's about what we do moving forward. One of my favorite quotes is, the best two days to plant a tree are 25 years ago and today. Can't do anything about 25 years ago, so let's just talk about what does it look like today moving forward. And so with that, I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 4. Moses has gathered the people, sort of another family meeting, if you will, and he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Before we jump in, I just want to start with a, an illustration of why we're talking about this today. During the holidays, I don't know if you're like me, but I am very thankful for the college bowl season. Because when you're in a house with a bunch of family and eating and talking, there's, I'm, my personality is I need some breaks and so I like to be able to turn on any football game at any time and all of a sudden care about Northern Illinois or Tulane or whoever and just watch football for a little while. Um, and so this past Christmas I was doing that and it was actually one of the marquee games. It was Clemson versus Tennessee. And they made a comment about the Clemson fan base that just I had to go and look up what they were talking about. And what they referenced was the fact that Clemson travels and their people pay in $2 bills. If you've never seen a $2 bill, here's a picture here on our living room TV set today. But if you've ever seen one, the first time I ever saw one, I thought to myself, is this real money? Like that, that I've never seen this, I don't understand this. A $2 bill, so bizarre. But here's the story of the $2 bill and Clemson. Way before Clemson was one of the marquee teams, they were in a yearly rivalry with Georgia Tech, and they would meet in Atlanta to play. And because Clemson at the time was not a big-name school for football, Georgia Tech wanted to end the rivalry and stop playing those games and schedule a little bit uh, cheaper opponent, if you will. And so Clemson and their leadership decided to prove at one of the last games scheduled how much financial impact the Clemson Tigers had is he told everybody traveling to the game to go and pay for your hotel, pay for your dinner, pay anybody and everybody in $2 bills so that Atlanta would be flooded with $2 bills indicating the financial impact of the traveling Clemson Tigers. The reason I bring that up is this. I really believe this. What would it look like if we began to invest in our households in such a way that it had the $2 bill effect in Lufkin, that people began to see the impact of our kids and our teenagers and our families through the spiritual impact of investment at home spread all over our town? And people go, I see the impact that Harmony Hill is making for the kingdom a $2 bill effect. Does that make sense? Is that something you want to get behind with me? Like that makes, I want to have an impact in families that our community can't turn a blind eye to. They, they at least have to acknowledge, man, God is doing something in the families on that hill. And so Moses begins his message by saying this, look, the Lord our God, he is one. That's the foundational piece. He said we have to start here. Remember, they're living in a culture, trying to move into a land where there are false idols, false gods everywhere. And he says, remember, we serve the one 
true God. And then he says, these truths that I'm about to share in the next 20-something chapters in our Old Testament, he says, first, they need to start on your heart. Then you need to teach your children. And he describes the process of what that looks like. And then he says, it needs to be obvious where your priorities are. So I want to unpack this passage and what does it look like? to have family investment, family discipleship. There's a lot of ways to define it. Matt Chandler wrote a book called Family Discipleship, and he sort of summarized what that means in this quote. Leading your home by doing whatever you can, whenever you can, to help your family become friends and followers of Jesus. I like the way that he's stated this because it sort of makes it simple to me. You're just doing whatever you can whenever you can, to point your family to a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we overcomplicate it, and it's as simple as that. So for the next few moments in your Life Point Outline, here's what I want to unpack. What does it mean to spiritually invest in your home, in your family, in your household? The first thing, if we want to invest in our home, is that we have to be spiritually healthy ourselves. Notice, again, Deuteronomy 6, Moses starts with, he alone is God, he is one. But two, that truth has to be on your heart first. He gives that command first before teach your children. It's a simple point. We cannot give to our kids that which we do not possess ourselves. Kids are too perceptive. They will always do what we do if what we do is different than what we say. Does that make sense? Like we can tell them what to do, but they will always revert back to doing what we do rather than just what we say. So the first point in this is that those of us in this room, moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, future moms and dads, we have to allow the truth of God to settle into our heart first. One of my favorite series of commercials right now is uh, Dr. Rick uh, from Progressive. Um, you, you know this guy, right? Like they, These are my favorite commercials. I think they're my favorite because on one hand, I love to deny where the stereotypes get a little too close to home, but I love pointing out where they nail uh, exactly how my wife is like the stereotype, right? Like, I mean, it's just so fun. I'll, I'll, I'll pause it and I'm like, Jennifer, you got to get in here. This is so you. And just, that's probably not the best outlet, but I just love it because it is so true. You think about um, the airport uh, commercial where uh, the lady uh, comes up to the guy and says, don't buy anything here. I brought snacks. And it's just this like backpack overflowing with snacks. Or when he takes them to the movie theater, he says, look, everybody understands Popcorn and drinks are expensive. We don't have to talk about it. Or when we go to the football game and he says, let's not talk about leaving the game before we actually get to the game. Like there's just so many of these things that strike a little too close to home. I think the reason this has been so successful in marketing is because there is a basic truth here. Whether we want to admit it or not, the older we get, the more like our parents we become. 
Like it or not, that is an outcome. And here is what Moses is saying. If we want our kids to be lifelong followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be lifelong followers of Jesus Christ because they will do what we do, not just what we say. Um, I saw him over here just a second ago. Uh, last night we had a great time at the men's uh, fellowship chili and gumbo. Uh, I've got a couple guys in the audience ready with some Tums in case some of it comes back on me this morning. But it was really good. Um, but one of the leaders of uh, our, our, our budding men's ministry is uh, John Thanish over here. And he made this statement to me last night, and it's a really powerful statement. He said, we are completing a six-plus million-dollar project for a group of people that none of them have a driver's license. And I sort of, I heard him, I'm like, where's he going with this? And he said, we've got to reach the dads who will bring them here. I love that. That was so just spot on, John. Right, because here's the deal. We can't ask even these kids to do what we ourselves are not doing. It must be on our heart first. And so I'm excited about this men's ministry saying we want to connect with dads so that they can be all that Christ has made them to be so that they can invest in their kids to be everything that God intended their kids to be. So that's number one. What does it mean to invest in our home spiritually? Number one, we've got to be spiritually healthy ourselves. Number two, we have to create a culture in our homes in which talking about the Lord is normal, it's open, it's not strange that we are talking about the things of the Lord. In the passage, Moses says, teach these things to your kids. Do it when you're at the house. Do it when you're on the road. Do it when you go down to sleep. Do it when they get up from sleep. Basically, he's saying, let me just describe every human situation. The only time that you are sort of free from talking about the things of the Lord is when everybody's asleep. Otherwise, if you're in the house or out of the house or awake or going to bed, it's an open gate, an open door to be able to talk about the things of the Lord. The, the next illustration I want to use is one um, that I, I read in a family discipleship book, and I apologize, I don't remember which book it was because I read it probably 12 years ago. Uh, but it uses two plates. Um, you have on the top this blue sort of plastic everyday plate. Everybody in the household can use it. The kids can use it. Everybody's familiar with it. And then at the bottom is kind of the fine china plate that only comes out maybe once or twice a year. And when people have it in their hand, it's fear and trembling before the Lord in case they drop it, right? And nobody wants to do the dishes anyways, but on fine china day, everybody's scared of doing the dishes. Here's the point. There's typically two types of household cultures. One is an everyday paper plate. We're talking about the Lord is easy, it's open, it's usable, it's not weird. Everybody in the household knows that it's okay to say, hey, I read this in my quiet time, or, you know, Pastor Todd said this, or my teacher in kids ministry said this. Like, we are open and talking. I heard this podcast, or I was listening to this worship song, or hey, guys, come and do this. Like, it's just open. It's everyday plate. Everyday plate. And then there are other households where it's like the fine china. And when somebody says, hey, what did y'all learn in the sermon today? Everybody's like, 
oh, this is weird. Why did, why did they bring that out? Is the preacher coming over for lunch? Are we getting prepped? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference with the everyday plate and the china, and there are households where talking about the Lord is common as the everyday plate, and there are households where it only comes out at Christmas and Easter. What I'm encouraging you, not with any shame, hear me, is let's begin making steps to becoming everyday plate families that talk about the Lord. And it will always have to start with feeling like fine china. But if you ate with fine china every day, it would become everyday plateware and nobody would be weirded out by it. I'm fortunate that um, in the home that I grew up in, my mom and dad loved the Lord and modeled it. And it was free for us to talk about it. When I had questions about faith, I could come and talk to them. They modeled it. Um, my, my mom and dad actually recently moved to Lufkin. They were in the first service, and my dad has started playing trumpet in the orchestra, which is like the craziest thing for me. you got to understand, um, in uh, nearly 18 years of marriage, I have not lived in the same town as my parents because of just where God's had us. And now they've moved here, and we're back in the same church. So it's not weird for me to see him in an orchestra playing, using his gifts for the Lord. It's weird for me to see it in Lufkin, Texas. But it's not weird because that's who he has been, modeling it, talking about it. Both my mom and dad taught us in RAs and GAs and youth camps and all those types of things. And in our home, the people I knew I could go ask a question, either about the Bible or something somebody taught me or whatever it was, I knew I could ask my mom and dad. And consequently, there are still times that I go and ask mom or dad I got to believe that if you're a believing mom and dad in this room, that's what you want. You want your kids to feel safe coming to you spiritually. doesn't mean you know every answer to their question. But you want them to be able to ask it and then you can discover it together. Let me just encourage you. Um, you have everything you need to invest spiritually into your household already. If you have a Bible, and if you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit living in your life, you have everything you need to invest in your family. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't have to have been a believer for some uh, long period of time. If you've got the Bible, the Holy Spirit, guess what? Because it's your family, you're the expert of your family, and you have everything you need to invest in them, spiritually speaking. And according to this text, we are to do it in a way that is natural. Um, for instance, as you come and as you go, like sitting in the house, for us on Monday nights, we do a family worship night um, where we basically sit on our couch. And the last few weeks, we've been using the Invest in the Next booklet that we've been giving you. Um, and before that, there's a couple of uh, kids programs that we'll watch with a Bible story and some questions. And we'll just talk about it and pray for each other. Sometimes it goes great. I told you a couple weeks ago, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's a yawn. Sometimes it was like a bunch of tears. And it's like, wow, do we want to do that again? But it's like, yes, we're going to invest in our family. But it's also when we're out and about. As we're riding in the car together, there are things that come up that we 
can talk about and give God's perspective on some things. When the news of the world comes into our household, we try to give them not our opinion, not a certain news channel's opinion, but what does God have to say about this? It's really you just processing your own spiritual walk in front of your family so that they will see how to do it. Um, it's teaching them how to pray. It's watching, watching you deal with uh, challenges and struggles and good times and how you relate to people and why you do what you do serving in the church. I mean, it's just a way of life. It's everyday paper plate living. So what does it look like to invest in our family spiritually? One, it is being healthy spiritually ourselves. Two, it's creating a culture in the family where it's open to talk about things of the Lord. Um, and then number three, we are to keep the priorities of the Lord in plain view. Keep the priorities of the Lord in plain view. At the end of this passage, he said, Moses says this, put it on your hands, put it right in front of your face or on your forehead and write it on the gate of your home or the doorway of your home. Now, what I'm not saying is that everybody's got to go to Hobby Lobby tomorrow and buy a Bible verse to put on your door. That's not necessarily, I know some ladies are like, I thought I was about to get pastoral approval. But uh, that's not what Moses is indicating because, again, it doesn't matter what you have over your doorway. And if you've got a Bible, that's great. I'm not saying that's a negative thing or that it's wrong. I'm just saying it's more about is is your love for the Lord as a family on display and are the priorities of the Lord in plain view of your family and those around you? That, that's what Moses is indicating. He's saying that way when you're working with your hands, it's as if the Lord is represented. It's when you're looking in the mirror and when people see you, it's like it's right here, right in front of you. When they come to your home, they know who you stand with. I really believe this, that when we put the Lord's priorities in plain view of our family, God begins to do things in our family. Uh, probably the, the most crystal clear example that I've seen of this was um, a few years back when I was a student pastor in uh, Mississippi. We had a week-long revival service. Uh, and that week-long revival service with meetings every single night was happening in the middle of the month of March. And I say that, that's important because there's a little basketball tournament that takes place in the middle of March. And I remember on the last night of the revival, uh, a, a, a parent, a, a father, stood up and said, every night this week, I've been so angry that y'all planned this during March Madness because I love basketball. And every night I just came because I knew we had to do it. We wanted to be good church, at least the appearance of being a good church member. But I was checking my phone for, for updates and I just couldn't believe you would plan it right in this week. And he said, but over the course of this week, God has revealed to me that I have let basketball be the priority in front of my family, and they knew it. And my commitment to my wife, to my kids, and to my church is that we're putting the Lord back as the priority in our family. Now, that's a great story on its own, but it only matters if there is follow-through, right? 
And so for the next six to eight months, I just wanted to watch because he was a leader. And he followed through with that commitment. And I began to see the Lord do things in his family. I was a student pastor. I had three of his students in the student ministry. And when I say one of them was a punk, I mean, he was a punk. And in the middle of that six to eight month stretch, God brought that young man from death to life because his family dynamic and priority had changed and the priorities were front and center. And he went from the biggest punk in the youth group to one of the greatest leaders we ever had in student ministry. He later became a leader of men by serving in our United States Air Force. And he is a fine young man who is serving the Lord today. And I can't help but draw the connection between his life trajectory and his dad saying, we're going to make priority in front view It's the Lord. Does that make sense? That's a bold thing, but that is what Moses is saying. They will only do what we do, not just what we say. If you want to invest spiritually in your family, it starts with a healthy you. It's about creating and cultivating a culture that is open to talking about the things of the Lord and hearing the instruction of the Lord. But it's also keeping the Lord's priorities out front and center. But then lastly, we are to diligently teach our children. Now that technically came a little bit earlier, but I wanted to save it for last. Moses says, these things that are on your heart, he's about to explain it over the next 20 chapters, what needs to be on our heart, what we need to diligently teach our children. This is a very oversimplified summary of some of the things that Moses says we need to teach our children over the next few chapters. For instance, in chapter seven, God is bigger than any of our enemies. We need to teach our kids. In fact, in verse 20 of chapter six, um, Moses says, when your children ask you, why do you serve the Lord? Tell them the story of God saving our people from slavery in Egypt. He's saying, teach your kids. There's nothing they will face that God is not bigger than. In chapter 8, he goes over God's provision for his people. Our kids need to know that it is, yes, we must work. Those who work eat is what Paul said. But we also have to understand every good gift from above came from our heavenly father, the book of James says. Chapter 9, he goes over the seriousness of sin. Our kids need to understand we don't just make mistakes. We don't just have goofs. We sin against a holy God, and because he is holy, we must take it seriously. Chapters 10 through 11 are uh, instructions about obey the Lord because the Lord has your best interest at heart. We need to teach our kids not legalism. Hey, you've got to do this. Why do we have to do that? Because it is God's best for you. He's looking out for you. He doesn't have arbitrary rules to limit your fun. He's saying this is how you have life to the full when you live as I designed life. Chapters uh, 12 to 13, he talks about what does it mean to worship, but also how to discern what types of leaders to follow. You think that's a relevant thing we ought to teach our kids today? He goes through an entire section about identifying false prophets, false teachers, and how you can know who to follow who's honoring God and who not to follow. There's a thousand voices coming at our students, at our children every day through every type of media. 
And they need to know how to discern what type of leader to follow. Chapter uh, 14 is practical advice for holiness. What does it look like for us to be holy as God is holy? Chapter 15 is about stewardship and generosity and the offerings that are to be given. And then chapters 16 to 25 are about ethics, justice, and God's design for sexual boundaries. Again, that's, there's many other things we could list. I'm just showing you that Moses said, hey, I've got a big speech to give. Deuteronomy is like the second telling of the law. And he says, understand, you serve the one true God. It's got to be on your heart, but then you've got to teach it to your children. We want to impact society. It starts by investing in our families. Think about this. When God created man, he started with a couple, a marriage, and then it went to a family. He didn't start with civilization and culture. He started with the family and gave them instructions. And as they multiplied, families created culture. And so we have to go back to the basic building block. If we want to change our culture for the Lord, it starts with every one of us doing our part to invest in our households. And so that leads us to the last, the last piece here, is which is what are we asking you this month? This family meeting, we're asking you, each household, to be praying about what you would commit for this one year. Three main buckets, financially, next generation investment through serving, and then family investment in your own household. And so... What I'd like to do is I've got a picture of the front and back of the commitment card. There should be a commitment card in front of you, the family commitment card, which you are welcome to take with you uh, this week. Uh, we'll have some next week as well if you leave it at home or forget or whatever it is. Here's what I want you to understand. This week, we told you at the beginning of January that between this week and the commitment Sunday, we'd be asking each household to pray and fast about commitments and that we would on the last Sunday, which will be next Sunday, we'll have a time of celebrating of commitment. When we talk about this, we're talking about one year, a one-year commitment. And we're defining that as February 1, 2023 to January 31st, 2024. So just keep that in mind. And so this is what it says. As a sign of your commitments, have each family member write their name in the appropriate response area below. So I, this is a whole household, one card per household. Every family member has the opportunity to write their name or not put their name in places where they want to make a commitment or not. All right. So for instance, in my household, there's me, there's my wife, Jennifer, there's our two girls, Zoe and Michaela, and they are going to be asked to pray over this and where would they like to put their commitment. On the back, in just a second, um, you'll see that there's a place specifically for kids and students to process, but they're welcome anywhere. I am committed to investing in my household through intentional family discipleship and worship. My prayer is that my whole family will feel led to, to put that right there. That we'll say we will invest in one another. Yesterday we were doing one of the invest in the next devotions uh, at lunchtime. And I told them that we'd be talking about this card and praying about it this week. 
and that they would have an opportunity to, to commit if they wanted to invest in our household. And they asked, what does that mean? I said, well, it means that when we're doing something as a family for worship that you will participate. I said, but it also means that if, if I'm sort of talking as in, with the family, man, this is something I'm struggling with, and you have heard something from the Bible that would apply to that, that you need to tell me, well, this is what God's word says. And they looked at me like, I don't, okay, are we really able to do that? as they are trying to grapple with the fact that I'm going to be the lead pastor, and they're going, I'm nine years old. Can I? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you can do that. Will you commit to that? The next area is about service investment, sort of that human investment in the kids' building. There's a place where you can put, I commit to continue serving in children's ministry because we recognize there are already a host of you who are already serving in children's ministry. We wanted to give you a clear place where you can say, yes, you can continue to count on me. But then there's another spot. I want to begin serving in the children's ministry. So if you have not, if you are not currently, you can then write your name in to say, I would like to find my place. Again, there's a bunch of uh, volunteer jobs in that invest in the next book. On the back side, you have uh, a top section that is going to deal with like the kids and students. If we can flip this to the next one uh, back there, guys. And the beginning one, I'm, I believe it says, yeah, I commit to inviting a friend to church this year. So children, student, adults, if you want to say God's put on my heart, there's somebody at work or a neighbor or a family member, I'm going to invite them at some point during this, this year. Write your name there. I commit to memorizing Bible verses this year. Students, adults, put your names there. Hopefully you've been working on our verse for this month, 2 Timothy 2, 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will teach others also, right? I commit to pray for a friend or family member this year. We're trying to create plenty of spots where we can help our kids no matter where they are in their spiritual development go I can be a part of what the church is doing. Then at the bottom, there's a little uh, perforated section, uh, the financial investment. What we're asking for here is not what you're planning to give as part of your general tithes and offering, or your general tithe. We're specifically asking above that, what are you um, praying and what has God revealed to you to give directly towards the retirement of the debt in that building? We want you to give that annual sort of number, not, you know, I, I want to shoot high, uh, not like $5,000 a month, but, you know, whatever that is times 12, right? I mean, I got, I, I'm afraid that's going to undercut somebody. Like, oh, he only needs five. You pray about it, all right? Look, we've got we've to deal with this. But whatever that number is for the year, it could be a one-time gift that God's laid on your heart. It could be uh, monthly. Whatever that is, put what you expect that to be in that line. Here's what I want you to understand. A couple of things and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Number one, if you fill out this card and the only thing you're comfortable filling out is that you're going to invest in your family, you don't put anything in the financial piece, I still count that as a win. Please come and turn that card in because you're making a commitment to the Lord. I really believe this. Our elders believe this. Our leadership believes this. That if we start investing in our families, that peace will take care of itself in due time. So you come with whatever peace you have that you feel God wants to commit. 
and you go with it. And we want to celebrate that next, next Sunday. The other thing I would say is this. Um, we are, um, if you put a number in that financial piece, we totally get that things happen throughout the year. And that may or may not work out exactly as you thought. Um, we're not going to send deacons to your house in November going, hey, you're getting a little behind. That's not what this is about. In fact, um, our, our pastors um, will not even know any of the numbers that you write down. It's going to go to the select few that in our finance department just to organize it. All we're looking at is in a general sense, God, what can we anticipate for stewardship over this next year as we seek to retire that, that debt? Does that make sense? And so I want you to just feel confident to do it. That's why it's on a perforation. When you come, you'll put the whole card in, and the first people or those couple of people in our financial office, they're going to get the perforated section and then hand any of the other stuff to the children's department, et cetera. So, I mean, we're talking just a small number of people there. I totally get there's some of you that are like, I'm not going to put a number on that card, but I'll probably still give. Well, I'm not going to say don't do that, right? But I'm just saying if we know, it just helps us as leaders steward it. But every giving campaign, here is a reality. There will be people that put a number on there, and for whatever reason, they're not able to give as much, or they'll give more, and there's some people that won't turn a card in that will give faithfully. We're just looking for a metric for us to know how to plan. That's all this is. And it's a spiritual exercise for each home to go, we are investing in the next, and this is what we seek to commit to the Lord, all right? So I'm gonna encourage you to fast and pray. There's um, some instructions in the Invest in the Next book about fasting, if you've never done that before. Would encourage you to do that, even if it's just one or two days. If you've never done that, I would count that as a win, a spiritual exercise. Man, this has been such a great morning. I appreciate your attentiveness and your um, can I just say, like, I know I'm like the only one facing this way, but there's a lot of really good um, nonverbal listeners in this crowd, like giving me like, I'm with you. I appreciate that. And so I just want to pray um, and thank the Lord for um, what's going to happen over this next week. We'll have an announcement video and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you. You are the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one. Lord, may we put these truths in our heart that we would love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might. And may we diligently teach and invest in the next generation, both as a church and in our households. We give you the glory, Father. We anticipate and look forward uh, to next Sunday just celebrating what you're doing in our church. It's in Christ's name, amen.